This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, good morning and welcome to Open for Business, the show that dives into the journeys and ventures of entrepreneurs and business leaders. This morning on the show, Dion Song, the CEO of fashion brand Love Bonito. Starting out as a humble blog shop selling secondhand clothes back in 2005, today the Singapore-based fashion brand Love Bonito calls itself the largest vertically integrated omnichannel women's fashion brand in the region. The direct-to-consumer brand was created in 2010 officially with a commitment to accessible and thoughtful designs specifically tailored to the Asian female demographic and is now present in multiple countries and exports to over 20 countries. In Malaysia, the firm now has six outlets having unveiled their sixth and newest edition, the flagship store at the Exchange TRX last year. Today on Open for Business, we speak to Dion Song, the CEO of Love Bonito, on the journey this e-commerce and fashion brand has been on, the challenges of growing this fashion brand, and what their ambitions ahead look like. Dion, welcome to the show. Very nice to meet you, Roshan, and thank you for having me on board. Uh, it's a pleasure, and I think we're going to have an interesting conversation mm -hmm. here. Um, before I got the email pitch, I was uh, quite ignorant, I would say. I didn't know what Love Bonito was. Mm -hmm. I surveyed the office, and all the women were like, yeah, you should interview them. They're a big company. I was like, okay, cool, let's settle this. And in my research, it was quite an interesting journey that that mm -hmm. took me on. This company is almost 20 years old, if we're talking about from the inception date, but formally incorporated in 2010. And the co-founders, Rachel Lim, Viola Tan, and Velda Tan, started this wanting to create this fashion line specifically tailored to Asian women that was also affordable and accessible. Give us a sense for what the product mix and the brand positioning mm -hmm. is for Love Bonito today. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it was good to know that. I guess if you didn't know about the brand, it's okay. I think good to know our marketing got the targeting, <laughs> the targeting and our target audience pretty accurate. Yes. So that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think just to share, right, sort of broadly, just who we are um, in terms of product positioning, you know, a little bit of the story and the genesis, Please. right? So when the founders first started, of course, um, from even Bonito Chico days, right, it was really around sort of more reselling, right, from the passion, um, from a point of view where, you know, it's really the passion also for fashion, right, mm -hmm. really reselling to our communities, right? clothing and they were buying it from Bangkok back then ah. right but then it got to a point where they realised that hey right end of the day when it comes to fashion apart from the style the issue that customers always face is the fit Mm. Right. Can we ensure the fit and, of course, number two, the quality is as consistent as can be? And it's very hard to do when you're just reselling because you don't control any of that. Right. That was actually how Love Bonito then got born. Right. Because to actually do that, they realized, OK, we have to create something. Right. So although we're not designers from training, let's roll out our sleeves. Let's really try and really create a brand just from scratch mm. um, so that we can have a very consistent right, supply chain, production, right, design, aesthetic, sizing right, and fitting. Um, so that was really the birth right, officially. Um, of Love Bonito um, in 2010. But what we realized as well when really first starting out the brand was that, hey, you know, I think we really want to create also fashion where we can almost democratize it, right? Mm -hmm. Why does good fashion also have to burn a hole in a pocket? No, right? <laughs> I think women can get quality clothing, um, but hey, everyone should be able to afford a good piece or right? a good outfit, right? A great dress, right? A good piece of, you know, outfit and two-piece and, and whatnot, right? Um, it shouldn't really have to be at designer prices, mm. right? It can be affordable. And it doesn't mean that affordable fashion means wear and throw fashion. Affordable fashion can have mileage, right? Can last, can have quality, right? Gives you good value for money and can actually last 
many, many, many years, right? I mean, the jeans and the denims I've worn for Love for Needle, I've worn it, right, for the last over five years, right? Still wearing the same ones. I can wear and, you know, <laughs> really wash them, throw it in the dryer. Right? It's okay. You know, I think so that's really the genesis of, of what we why we do what we do, right? And number two as well, in terms of just product positioning, right? Also realizing that, hey, you know, back then as well, and this was in 2010 too, right? And we look at a lot of brands coming into Asia, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, all of that. Um, you see so many international fashion brands, right? But then they're not really catering to the region, right? Back then as well, it was really around even just basics like proportions, sizing, right? Mm. Proportions, the length, right? The height. Um, it was really catered to a Caucasian audience, right? Which means that it's really off, you know? Um, and women then have to do other things, have to compromise. You have to spend money to tailor, right? Um, to tuck up your pants, right? But why, right? Shouldn't there be a brand that's really catered to the Asian female community where we don't have to spend extra money, right? Doing all of that tailoring. That's really one, right? Back then as well, and, and maybe times have changed also now, but back then as well, what also really inspired um, the birth of Love Bonito was also because we saw that a lot of the international brands coming in, they're still following pretty much a lot of the fall winter seasons mm. we're getting layers right and over Southeast Asia we of course know how not hot not relevant how humid. <laughs> yeah not at all we don't need the layers you don't need the coats you don't need the trench coats all of that you don't need all of that um, and why why do we have all of that right shouldn't we have more spring summer right shouldn't we have more breathable fabric as well um, so that was really why right can we make also fashion that's really more centered and geared towards the communities um, that we want to serve but really also I think number three it was really around beyond even the product right more around the brand um, and we started doing this even from day one right and in the last couple of years we've really honed in on this um, how do we ensure also right that we are proud of who we are in terms of representation mm. right really choosing okay maybe it's Asian models on the catalogue that we choose to have right diverse set of Asian faces also in our social media in our content in our collaterals and actually back in the day funny right I think it's a funny thing that maybe even customers here were not used to it so when we first started using and we were sticking to our guns really using Asian models right um, Southeast Asian models faces right showing their diversity as well we even had customers write in you know and asking hey how come how come you don't use like sort of like <laughs> models from the west right that we see all these other brands using and we were like oh but but why right don't you want to see someone who looks like you Today is a thing, right? I think today as Asians as well, I think we're proud and we want to see people who mm. look like us. But if we think back five, ten years ago, maybe not, right? I think even then we're not ready. But we really wanted to just see that thought and be like, hey, right, I think there's nothing wrong, right? We should embrace ourselves. We're unique. We're different. Um, and let's also be proud of who we are, our culture, our heritage, right? Even how we look, right? And really show, right? Showcase the diversity um, of the Asian community, yeah, so I think really sort of these three areas, right, are also what makes us, you know, sort of who we are and a bit of the origin story. Yeah, thank you for that. I also really enjoyed the ambition to punch above the Southeast Asian weight, right? It's, mm. you're, not, you're not looking to just target this region. There are ambitions to target even the U.S. Yes. <clears throat> and we'll touch on that a little later. So, uh, Dion, in 2017, you became Love Bonito's first C-suite hire. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, you had senior roles with Zalora, Dance of Fora. Mm -hmm. At Love Bonito, you've gone from Chief Commercial Officer to Chief Operating Officer, and now you're the CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in 2021. Now, a key challenge I see, or a key change when a non-founder takes the top spot, is when founders are still around, there is always there can be a certain dynamic in terms of who directs leadership, who directs vision. Mm. Um, and stepping out of the shadow of the founders can also be difficult. What is your relationship been like with the co-founders and uh, since becoming CEO in April 2021? Mm, yeah, I think it's been a, it's been it's been a while, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I would say maybe just first to start off everything, I mean, I think end of the day, of course, um, 
things like trust take time to build, right? And I think I've been around also now for a while, right? So I think that's really sort of like a key tenet for, for everything, right? So when I first started um, back then, um, Rach and Rachel and Viola were still on board with Love Bonito, right? And back then as well, I think what even actually drew me to the opportunity, right? So I think before even I joined, mm. actually, I had a lot of conversations with um, Rachel, right? I think as, as most of the... Um, the listeners also would, would know, right? Um, but I've had a lot of conversations because I also was a little bit sceptical, right? And I asked, hey, why, why do y'all want to hire someone, right? I think that there's, there's two of you. I think you've grown also the brand very meaningfully and it's doing well, right? Why do you need someone, you know? Um, and just really wanted to understand sort of the, the needs, right? And the gaps. And then also just to understand the readiness, right? Because I think it's one thing to say, hey, you want to bring on someone, right? And maybe someone senior or you, you want to bring on help, right? But... I guess when it comes to it, whether you're also open to help is a different thing. But then through my conversations with Rage um, and also really why I joined, right? I think I found, and after being in the startup scene also for a while, actually, <laughs> right? Um, I think I found my conversation and her very, very, she was very, very authentic, very real, right? And she was just very clear and upfront around like what she didn't know right? and what she wanted help with. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it takes a lot of courage um, and a lot of humility, right? Mm -hmm. To actually just tell someone like, oh, I'm not good at this, right? And I just really want help in this, right? And I don't have the answer. And, you know, what do you think? So I think with that already, I think it showed a lot of humility and a lot of openness, right? And a lot of self-awareness, firstly. And I was like, okay, I think, you know, maybe it's interesting, right? Then, of course, it's for me to see, hey, actually, can I, can I actually genuinely, truly actually also fill up the gap that you need, right? And, and if yes, and I have the confidence that I can do it, um, then, you know, it could be something interesting, right? So we sort of went through that conversation and um, we spoke for at least almost close to, actually close to seven months before wow. I joined. Yeah, yeah. So she and I just met quite a lot of times. We were just discussing different scenarios. Um, I came into the office also a couple of times um, to meet with the teams um, and just really wanted to get a true sense of like the vibes um, and the team. And I think as I shared as well, also after speaking actually with all of the team leads and I took the time to speak with each of them because I wanted a really good sense, a concrete sense of hmm, also truly can I help, right? And am I able to problem solve for these areas, you know? Because I also don't want them to look at me as if like the answer, right, to solving everything, which is also a bit maybe too much as well, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want to overpromise as well. Um, so I think that, that conversation really did help um, at the start. Um, and then we went through actually even some even deeper conversations, even before I joined, right? I think there were a couple of areas we were talking about, oh, branding, direction. And I was like, hey, right, if I join, really, like, will you be comfortable even um, for me to suggest changes to these and these, right? A, B, C, D. And we actually concretely talked about it and we listed it down. Um, so that really helped. Uh, then when I joined, of course, you know, after joining, and honestly, I think trust takes time, respect takes time, right? And I think more than anything, camaraderie and comfort, I mean, takes time, right? Mm -hmm. It's a new person, right, that you're working with. Of course, you both take time to get used to each other. Um, and that took a while, you know. I think we took probably a year and a half. Wow. I think we took a year and a half for me to say that, not that a year and a half was tragic uh, and terrible, not really that. No, 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 it wasn't that, just to put it very clearly. But I think a year and a half to really get into the rhythm of like, it's really smooth and it's it's a it's a good wave and it's really smooth like it's yin it's yang right and we know really how to work with each other very very well I think it took a while as well, right? And of course, I think, um, as you sort of asked as well, it takes a while also to sort of find that footing also, right? I mean, even yeah. for her, right, to be very honest as well. As a founder, who's been running a business for a very long time. Suddenly, you have someone new coming in, taking up certain pieces of the puzzle as well, right? Where do you sort of come in, right? Where do you move out? And how do we then build that rapport as well, 
right, with the teams. Mm. Yeah, so it took a while. I think it took time. Um, but today, I think we have a very good rhythm. I think that trust also that, hey, I think you sort of work on these areas as well, right? And today, um, Rachel's really working on, of course, everyone knows her as, as well, a, a very influential personality, right, in the region. Um, she does everything for the ambassadorship side of things, right? In terms of content creating, she does that as well, right? Whether it's for Love Bonito, right, or for herself as well, because that ladders back to the brand. Mm-hmm. And then contributing and working with our fashion design team, mood boards with inspirations, with designs, and so on, right? So these are the parts that then we come together. Um, so then when it comes to a lot of the design elements and so on, then, you know, it's full trust. I also fully trust, right? That, hey, I think she and the team are doing a brilliant job about that. How do I complement that, right, from other areas as well? And then pretty much all the other areas then I work then with. Today, we'll have an expanded leadership team, right? So, of course, there's a great team also um, alongside me, and I work with the rest of them, right, to build all these other areas up. Yeah. Um, Dion, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this, including some of the growth strategies ahead, because the last few years has seen the omni-channel approach really take flight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Folks, I've been speaking with Dion Song, the CEO of Singapore-based fashion brand Love Benito. I'm Roshan Karnison. You're listening to Open for Business. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Buggy Free Minum, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanison, and this morning I'm speaking with Dion Song, the CEO of Singapore-based fashion brand Love Bonito. Before the break, Dion, we were talking about the origin story for Love Bonito and the relationship or the uh, yeah, the relationship between you and the founders, the onboarding process. I mean, you were having conversations with them with Rachel for seven months and then it took about another one and a half years to fully get the vibe right. And today you've been around for six years now. In that time, there's been quite a lot of forward momentum or at least a difference in the strategy. As I mentioned earlier, um, there's been a big change into the hybrid situation of the omni-channel approach because typically, not typically, but before this, very e-commerce based here. Uh, and a lot of this is illustrated, I guess, mm. by the outlet. So TRX, the flagship store, that kind of really illustrates this as well. Um, talk to us about why this particular strategy and focus. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> you know, I think back then as well, and I still recall this, right? Um, and I think that this was when I was um, sort of first starting out as well. We were purely, as, as you shared, right? Um, mainly predominantly um, online, mm-hmm. e-commerce. And, and actually, that's a very unique part of also Love Bonito's journey, right? Because versus all other brands, um, we're actually digital first, yeah. right? Since day one. Um, which I think is a great thing, right? I think also testament, of course, to what the founders have built, right? But also their backgrounds also as also KOLs in their own right, right? Of course, on Instagram, on the different social media platforms, that really made sense. I think for us, as we scaled, I think when we think about it, right, although even six, seven years ago, you know, the tech e-commerce was such a buzz, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's like, wow, tech, e-commerce, let's all talk about this. Um, but if we take a step back, right, although the e-commerce kegas were so high, the entire retail market is still predominantly was and still actually is today, predominantly still offline and brick and mortar. If we break that down even further, actually, when we think about fashion and clothing, it kind of makes sense, right? Sometimes we, we throw logic out the window when we want to catch trends. Mm-hmm. Right? When we think about fashion and clothing, it's like, it kind of makes sense for women's fashion. If it's also maybe more form-fitting type tailored clothing as well, 
end of the day, you probably want to try, right? You probably want to try it to know how it fits, right? A lot of times it's not even just the sizing and what the sizing AI can tell you. It's also even fabric, right? If it's stretchier, if it's tighter, it fits a little bit differently, you know? And I think for this specific category that we're in, which is more fashion and clothing, um, it really makes sense actually mm. to have to have, a, have some sort of an offline um, presence, right? For customers to come in. Um, and especially, of course, in Southeast Asia specifically, we think markets like Singapore, Malaysia, right, um, the Philippines, right, Indonesia, all of that. Actually, the concept of a malling culture is very, very big, yeah. right? I mean, the, the malls here in, in KL, super crowded, right? <laughs> um, I was just there. Then we were going to our stores at Mid Valley and all. Like, it's packed to the brim, right? One you all. It's so crowded. People clearly go to the malls, right, to socialize, to hang out, to eat, to dine, and then to shop. Avoid the heat. Yeah, so so yes, it, precisely. It's it's all these factors. So when we think about then in Southeast Asia context, it actually makes sense. It's like almost a no-brainer. Yes, you have to have some sort of element, right? It doesn't mean we're pivoting all the way, but you want some semblance of that because it makes sense for the market, right? So that was really sort of more the the, the tenet, right? Around, okay, why did we choose to expand? Um, and then to have an omni-channel approach. And it's really not so much about choosing one channel over the other, right? Whether it's online versus offline. And today, I think arguably even social, right? Social chat apps are considered other forms of channel, mm -hmm. right? But it's not really channel versus channel. But um, I think it's really honestly end of the day around going to where your customer is right for who you are as a brand and what you are as a category right so for who we are as a brand you know and what we are as a category we know that okay right consumers would shop right it's a mixture sometimes maybe they browse online right they look for stuff and then maybe okay they want to go and check it out in a store right try it on or maybe their office right is close to mid valley they want to go there during a lunch break to buy a certain something and we want to give them the convenience and they can go in try out the sizing right and and then buy um and that's sort of that journey right so for us it's really more of that, that that drove the um, the omni-channel um, journey. I think what was very important for us actually going into this, right, um, which we were very, very intentional, right? Maybe we invested quite a bit of time as well into this was, the, the beauty of offline was that uh, online actually first and going digital first was that over the years, right, while every retailer is just collecting receipts, we were collecting data, right, mm -hmm. from day one, actually, which is also why we kind of navigated the pandemic well, right? Because while stores were closed, we were like, we're able to actually capture all of the contacts, right? Um, we have a community, right, with them on social, on, on Instagram, of course, with all of our community. We have their emails, right, from e-commerce. We're always able to communicate with our customers, right? But many other retailers were actually just collecting receipts, right? And their data and, and understanding of the customers is sort of a black box, right? You only see sales. You see nothing beyond that, right? And you just see transactions. Um, so for us, then, when we went offline, it was almost very intentional of, okay, mm, it's important to go offline, but how can we go while still ensuring we can build a profile, right, and still connect with our customers, mm -hmm. which is why we wanted to enter. And this was, you know, six years ago, we took time to build a loyalty program, right? We built time to build an onboarding flow um, such that you would always create a membership and then you shop. So today, 90% of our customers that transact with us offline are also actually um, can be identified, which is actually great because wow. we incentivize them. So you come in, we'll greet you at high, Roshan, right? Maybe you're not the target audience, <laughs> but we will still greet you, right? And be like, hey, do you want to sign up for a loyalty program? Yeah. Right, sign up first, we get your email and then we incentivize them, right? We give you perks, right? Let's say for your birthday, as you tear up from a bronze to a silver to a gold member and you get benefits, right? So for example, in our TRX, or actually all other stores, if you're a gold member, you can cut the line. All right, uh, uh -huh. and we're always all impatient, right? If you can cut the line, <laughs> jump the queue, that's a great perk. It's yeah? a great value it's, it's, for a, sure. it's a great perk. So all these little thoughtful perks that we try to incentivize people so that they would actually create an account with us. Um, yeah, so so that's sort of our approach to to omni channel, right? And how we see also the importance of it. And 
you made a uh, you made a point to mention that you know it really depends on I guess what the brand is looking for yep. right? in terms of what is your balance. Um, where do you see the balance for the offline to online for uh, Love Bonito? Mm, it's it's really for us actually in terms of right now contribution to the business is all yeah. it's actually half half. Okay. Right. I think we, we actually sell them here brands that actually have a pretty good footing for both. Um, and I think this part is really quite important both ways, right? So during the pandemic, we were able to then, and everything has to be omni in that sense, right? Because for us, and it, it led us down to everything like inventory management is omni-channel, right? How teams are optimizing and working is also omni-channel. So mm-hmm. i.e., example, our retail ambassadors in the stores, right? They're also incentivized, right? To perhaps reach out to customers to get a sign up, for example, right? Um, and they will get an incentive as well for that, right? So we think about the whole omni-channel component, right? And during the pandemic, it really served us well because we were able to quickly navigate, right? Also re and adjusted inventory, reallocated it from our stores, right? To online, right? To shift. And then actually the moment we got out of the pandemic, if you recall, there was a whole revenge shopping also offline, right? We were able to then move also very quickly, right? To move everything um, into our stores as well. So for us, it's actually quite important um, both ways. Um, and we see the value of that, right? I think what's maybe I would love to share as well, as we, as we went into offline spaces, I think for me especially, what was very, very important was that, hey, when we open stores, right? Um, let's not do a cookie cutter, run off the mill, like, store, like offline mm. store, right? That every other, you know, that, that every other brand is doing, right? Um, the offline experience should also still be thoughtful and can also still be unique, right? And can also be innovative, right? Okay. It doesn't mean e-commerce and online tech is innovation, mm. right? So what I mean over here is when we first opened our first store, we made it a point, right? Being, of course, a female-centric brand, we're like, hey, let's think of all the pain points, right? For a woman shopping. One of them, quite interestingly, I'm not sure if you agree or not, is that a lot of times when you're shopping, if you're shopping with a partner, maybe boyfriend, <laughs> husband, right? Weekend and so on. You bring them along, right? They are blackface in a corner. Everyone gets impatient, right? And then you have to leave and you're shopping earlier. So what we wanted to do, we had little chairs and little zones, which you see also in TRX, right? Almost like a boyfriend corner. Boyfriend, Brilliant. partner corner, right? A kid corner. That they can sit there, <laughs> be on their phone, right? Play some games, chill. The women can then shop. Um, and then actually their shopping time is not interrupted. Mm-hmm. So they continue browsing and browsing and browsing. So that was actually one insight that we did. But it's of course very specific to us being a female brand, right? Another insight that we saw as well was, hey, a lot of times also, if it's very crowded sometimes, customers end up stuck at the fitting room queue. And why, right? Because it's such a terrible experience. They could spend time on the shop floor. And because Southeast Asia, again, is full of malls versus street stores, actually they could go out of the store, have a cup of coffee, a tea, and then come back when the room is ready. So that's why we introduced the fitting room queue system. So it's a way of like, you can leave your number, you can scan the code, um, we will text you when your room is ready. Yeah, and then you can have a better experience and, and walk around and browse. Um, so those are just some examples. It's maybe very unique to, to us, right? I think you wouldn't do it, of course, also it's not so crowded, for example. Right? So very specific. And for that one, again, it's innovation, but it doesn't mean rocket science, right? And honestly, I think we took it out. Still recall that we took it out of the leaf of like um, Korean barbecue restaurants in like Singapore, right? You leave right. your number there, right? Then they tell you and they beep you when the table is ready. So we took it from the F&B world and we're like, oh, okay, why not? This kind of makes sense, right? We maybe just need to tweak it a little bit um, for our case, but seems sensible, right? A third one, and it's more around spatial design. We try to ensure also in stores where we have, we are near sort of like family catchments and because a lot of our customers, maybe if they're living there um, and being our customers, especially, maybe they're also mothers, right? So they have maybe their prams, their trolleys, right? And kids. Um, so we also ensure that, okay, even though we're sort of like, um, 
kind of quite affordable fashion as well, right? But a lot of times, maybe the stores are a little bit more dense. We wanted to ensure there's enough space for the mothers to push their prams through the right. shop floor. Mm. And then in the fitting rooms, we'll have little hooks, right? Where it's a shorter hook where the kids can kind of play, right? It's almost <laughs> like, oh, mommy and me, right? We play along because maybe the kids are inside mm. trying and changing with their mums. Um, so those are just little bits. Um, but again, it's that's why it's just very tailored um, and just very considered towards who we are as a brand, right? And these are little leaves of innovation. Yeah, and I guess the data-centric and the tech-first approach that yeah. Love Bonito took allowed this to happen yes. as well. Uh, Dion, we've got to go into the 10.30am news bulletin. When we come back, we'll talk about the business side of things, including how much you can tell us about the numbers. Uh, folks, I'm speaking with Dion Song. She's the CEO of Singapore-based fashion brand Love Bonito. I'm Roshan Kennison. This is Open for Business. We'll be back after the news bulletin. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Begin fun moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kennison and this morning I'm speaking with Dion Song, the CEO of Singapore-based fashion brand Love Bonito. Uh, Dion, earlier we talked a bit about the origin story, but of course, this focus on the omni-channel and that right now it's about 50-50 in mm-hmm. terms of the offline to online, uh, in terms of the components of the business. Um, as reported by Tech in Asia, revenue across markets in 2021 was just under 33 million US mm-hmm. dollars. This was obviously a few years back. But at that point, you were seeing a 41% year-on-year growth. Mm. What can you tell us today about where the company is in terms of revenue and growth? Mm. Yeah, um, <laughs> we've, been, we've, been, we've been actually sort of consistently growing, right? Mm. Um, they're about set 30 to 40%, right, in the mm. last couple of years. So I would say pretty consistent um, growth trends. And a lot of it also anchored two, two prongs, right? I think one, we talked about omni-channel for yeah. sure. I think a part of it, right? The e-commerce growth, of course, opening stores, right? Today we have um, 20, 20 stores across the region. Um, the other part of it then really anchored through our geographical expansion, right? So back then we were predominantly heavy Singapore. Of course, we've been expanding into Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, right? Been the markets we've been longest in as well since then. Um, and then as well, newer markets actually outside Southeast Asia. Second one is um, Hong Kong. And I think reason for that entry into Hong Kong was really around like, oh, can we identify also look-alike markets uh, that Hmm. sort of are similar to Singapore? Um, And I think that's actually an important point, right, around growth. Because it's around like, how do you identify sustainable growth, right? There isn't sort of high burn. And a lot of times people talk about product market fit, right? But I think in this case, it's really like even market to product fit, right? Because if you have to to diversify um, and customize your product to every single market you want to enter, what does it mean? It means like super high cost, right? It means high cost. You need a lot of people. And actually, it's a lot of added operational complexity Mm because it's just tough, right? So for us, it was around also identifying, okay, Right. Hong Kong being very similar to Singapore in a sense, right? Very dense, right? Similar sort of like gaps, similar needs as well. Right. We don't have to really change, right, and tweak everything um, for the market. Right. Um, so that that was really sort of like one area as well. Um, two as well, in terms of even geographical expansion, right? We started sort of thinking through as well. Um, hey, right, I think when we think about what we're trying to solve, right, really having very, very thoughtful fashion, right? And our mission as well to empower women, right? The Asian female community. Um, actually, there's a huge population also outside Asia, right? That um, actually, ironically, right? Because they're outside, actually. I mean, very interestingly means that 
competition is also low, right? And no one's really catering to them. Right, and there's a huge Asian diaspora market. And we first started actually seeing signals of this because we saw um, orders, organic orders coming first from Australia. Interesting. Yeah, and we're like, oh, that kind of makes sense, right? Like Melbourne, mm. Sydney, huge Asian population. If you go there, everything is long, it's huge. <laughs> right, you have to tailor everything. Mm. Um, and it becomes very expensive. Right? And of course, fashion also generally is actually pretty expensive as well. So if you add that on top of tailoring, right, for the Asian woman, it's like insane, you know? Um, and then, yes, we started looking into the US and we're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense also, right? So we, the, the third key region for us, or cluster we like to call it, is really how do we reach out to the Asian woman um, outside Asia? Mm. Right, I reach out to her in a very, very thoughtful manner as well, right? Because she is totally being underserved um, by the competitive set, right, of, of brands over there. Yeah. Yeah, some of the data I saw. Um, I, I would presume that Singapore is still the biggest market today? Singapore is the largest market, um, followed by Hong Kong um, for us, right? And then Southeast Asia as a total um, is thereabouts, right? Close to a quarter um, of our business. Oh, that's really interesting that yeah. Hong Kong has taken that second spot because I think in 2021, it was Indonesia, then Malaysia. So some ch changes in terms of your international expansion have really been realized here. Yeah. Yeah, but we're, we're a pretty sizable business um, in the region, right? And in Singapore alone, for example, we're, and this is based on Euromonitor numbers mm -hmm. as well, right? We're there about the fourth largest um, women's, wear, women's wear brand um, in the market as well. Right? Overall, to just give you a, To just give you a sense, overall, mm. overall. Um, and it's just behind, um, not going to name them, but the typical international fashion brands, right, that you hear about. So just behind them, right? And honestly, I think that's where also for us, if we look forward, the potential and, and the opportunity is huge, right? I think for us, and we're really quite confident and excited about this because if you look at our website, our stores, actually our versus a lot of the international brands, it's also actually a lot leaner, right? So mm -hmm. with a lot lesser types of looks, right, and styles and actually categories um, to still be able to command this size of volume, right, and scale and growth. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty decent, right, which gives us a good sense of, okay, there's, a, there's still a lot more opportunity, right, and a lot more headroom um, for the future as well. The US looks to be a key market. Hong Kong is a big market mm. for you now. Um, how material are all these, the international markets beyond Southeast Asia going to be in the growth story going forward? Um, d definitely important, right? And I think it's it's really around sort of like the the, the clusters that we talked about yeah. right, a little bit earlier, right? I think Singapore, Hong Kong, we sort of see it, right? And sort of that, that, that sort of similar cluster, mm. right, of like, these are countries in Asia, but they're more cities, right? They're also smaller. <laughs> it's a bit different, right? Yeah, it's it really more cities. It's a bit different. It's more dense, um, very tightly populated as well. So the entry and omni-channel is actually quite different, which is also why we expanded more, right? Because right. it's dense and, you know, um, it's fast, right? Also to commute in that sense, right? Not so scattered and sparse. Um, and then, of course, you know, um, for us in the US, it's a key, it's definitely a key market that we're looking into. And for us, it's really around how do we reach out, right, to um, the market. But if we think about this, right, US is a huge country, right? Of course, it's a huge, huge place. So the entry is very different. Mm. And we know that we want to reach out to the Asian women, right, in the US. So it has to be a lot more targeted. So today, for example, we do a lot of partnerships. We do partnerships with Asian communities over there um, to work together, right? And maybe we want to combine also the mission, right? So example, we will do a lot of maybe work type panels, right? Oh, how do you get ahead, right? Or maybe, okay, right? How do you get through even, right? Um, let's say um, discrimination, right? In the workforce. Um, let's talk about that. Let's have an authentic, candid conversation, right? So this is where we partner with partners, 
uh, maybe corporate partners as well. Mm. We bring on women right, who have been in the industry who share then really good sound bites and tidbits. And then we bring on also even the sort of like fashion, styling and fun element as well. But I think these are the real conversations. So for the US, it's more of the entry. It's very, very specific and tailored. Right, We're not going to do a big out of home everywhere. But very tailored, we want to speak to the right communities, have the right events, um, and then start that important conversation um, that we feel then is really meaningful. Also around, you know, things that we talked about just now, representation, right, mm. for example. Yeah, so I think th these are the narratives and the conversations, yeah. I've been speaking with Dion Song, the CEO of Singapore fashion brand Love Bonito. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here at BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Blues, folk, metal. BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kynison and this morning I'm speaking with Dion Song, the CEO of Singapore-based fashion brand Love Bonito. Uh, Dion, following up from what we were talking about earlier, one of the key narratives over the last few years, yep. uh, at least in the last one and a half years, has been the rising cost of capital, which has mm. made profitability ever more important as a yes, conversation topic. Yes, everyone's favourite topic. I'm sure that's something uh, you've been asked multiple times. So mm -hmm. given that last I've read, the company wasn't profitable just yet yet, where this hitting consistent profitability rank in terms of the priorities for you and for Love Bonito today? Mm, mm, mm. The path to profitability 100% is important. Right? I think for us, honestly, has always been important. right? I think this whole conversation also around profitability, I mean, end of the day, I think mm, maybe different strokes for different businesses, mm -hmm. right? but I think where it's getting to and the priorities across the startup industry, honestly, I think it's... Again, it's like one of those things. It's almost like a no-brainer, right? Yes, it's important. We all have to run sustainable <laughs> businesses end of the day, yeah. right? It's not too different from like the past. And of course, it should be. Um, and for us, that's important as well. So what's important also for us when we look into this? So definitely, of course top priority, right? But for us, it's important also, and even in our core mature markets, actually, we are profitable, mm. right? So our core mature markets that we've been around for a while, we are profitable, and that's the important um, signal for us, right? Then, of course, newer markets, we're investing in it, right? It's still growing. It's a bit of an early day. But yeah, so I think when we shared around the cluster even, you know, I think as the organization and the company also scales across different stages, right? We try to ensure, okay, we're identifying also more economies of scale, right? Where are that better synergies as well? What we talked about just now, right? even that whole market to product fit yeah. versus that product to market fit like everywhere. Um, that part's also important as well to identify lookalikes, right? So that it's a similar strategy that you adopt or maybe even a similar team, right? That, that then sort of, you know, tackles different areas as well, right? I think these are the parts also um, that we've been actually a lot of doing the shape shifting, right? Actually mm -hmm. over the last um, two years. But I think broadly when we think about growth, yes, I think gone are the days, of course, I think uh, with the notion of growth at all costs, right? It's really around thoughtful, considered um, and sustainable growth, right? And I think for consumer brands actually and consumer businesses like us, right? That are maybe not a super app, right? And a tech app platform where it's a, oh, let, let's really growth at all costs to dominate the entirety of the market, yeah. right? Where when it comes to consumer goods, brands and fashion, it's never going to be the case. So I think you have to run definitely a sustainable, profitable um, business. Yeah. 
So your mature markets, operating profitability, it's where you're investing in that are still running yes, yes. in the negative. Yes, and an interesting tidbit, and I know you love some of your numbers as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think even for us, right, when we think about, oh, offline, right, brick yeah. and mortar, right? And sometimes people are like, investors get a little bit scared. They're like, mm. oh, why do you want to invest offline? You know. And for us, actually, stores that we invest in, they're all profitable, right? Mm. Every single store is a profitable engine. Right on a you know it, it's operating profitably right sort of like at the twenty percent right at least twenty percent profit margin mark wow. right every store and they have to pay back right and they pay back right sort of within that within that sort of like twelve to thirteen months mm. right so I think these are actually important parts because sometimes when people think and maybe online only brands when they go sort of offline they think of offline as like oh showroom model right let's do it buzzy let's do it activation let's do pop up like let's do it experiential. That's when it gets expensive, right? Sure. For online and digitally native, like maybe D2C brands, right? Because you kind of throw that notion of like, oh, it should bring back something. It should bring back a dollar. Because it should, right? Every dollar it put in, yes, I think has to come back. Um, so for us, then we ensure that, okay, as we think about offline, it's not just for vanity, right? It's really not just a woo-woo, fluffy, experiential mm. zone, right? It has to offer, of course, some community elements. It will bring something different, but it has to still work. It has to sp- still be profitable as well. Yeah, so I think that that's sort of our thesis and why, at least for us, that whole omni-channel expansion um, still works, right? And, and makes sense for us as a business. It definitely sounds like uh, it's going to be a key area to drive profit also over the longer term. Um, as we come to the close in this conversation, mm-hmm. Dion, um, you told Reuters back in 2022 that plans for an IFPO at that point were definitely in the mid-term horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 2024 now. What can you tell us about the pathway or the, any plans for an IPO? Yeah, I think just to take a step back, right, I think when we think about the future, um, I think what is has always actually been the same from day one is really the ambition, mm-hmm. right? That our ambition is to be the destination um, for the Asian women, for the Asian women globally, right? So that's really our, our dream right, and ambition. Um, that's still the same, right? I think we're still gunning for that. Um, and yeah, so pretty much I think we're still gunning for that. I think that's the, the most important um, mm-hmm. sort of like takeaway. So... No comments on IPO just yet, but I will assume that it's still in the mid-term horizon, whatever that means. Yes, you can say. You can say that, yes. <laughs> Last question before we wrap up. Um, fashion is an always evolving situation. It's always an evolving scene. What key trends are you and the company paying attention to that you think are things that will change the fashion industry, mm. things that you can leverage on to continue growth? Uh, anything that you're keeping an eye on? De- definitely. Um, I think that there's so many, right? Um, maybe just a couple. Right? I think one also even sort of even through the pandemic as well. And, and now we, we see that sustained change um, it's sort of the blurring also between mm. occasions mm. right between like hey what do I what do I have to dress for, for for work for example right versus casual I think that whole line has really blurred right I think what people wear to the to the office has changed a lot right yeah. if we think it, over the last you know three years um, so, so that's sort of one and two also when it comes to even now right I think economy wise sometimes I think sentiments of course can still be a bit bearish where, you know, people are still holding on maybe to their purse strings a little bit, um, sentiments and maybe not also the best, right, everywhere, where, you know, I think talks, of course, right, recession, right, and so on. I think that's something that we hear um, and we see quite a bit. Um, so with those two, actually, what's very important when it comes to trends and also what defines really our design DNA and clothing is, end of the day, um, consumers are... We'll still buy something, right? But they are looking to invest that dollar wisely, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that if I'm buying clothes, I want uh, versatility, 
right? If I can wear it for multiple occasions, right? And I have also, number one, versatility. Number two, if I have mileage and I can wear it, right? And it lasts me for many, many years, right? I'm going to think about that because that's, to me, value, right? And it's value for money. And it reduces the overall cost per wear, right, in my mind as well as I'm calculating. But if I can, if I look at something and I'm like, oh, I can only probably wear it once and then I may never wear it again, yeah. you're probably going to think twice and you're probably not going to buy it now, mm. right? I think that's that consumer sort of behavior that has really shifted. So for us, then it really boils back. And we realize that, hey, I think actually this is great for who we are as a brand because we've always been around thoughtfulness. We've always been, been around versatility. So let's even go deeper, deeper, deeper into that, right? Let's really offer um, customers all of that. So one example, for example, even now when we think about tops, dresses, all of that, we ensure that, okay, certain tops, dresses, even have things like adjustable top straps, right? So for women, if you maybe also um, put on a little bit of weight or your weight fluctuates or you feel maybe more bloated time of the month, right? Which is very common as well. You adjust it, it fits better, right? It gives you versatility, right? Or we think about things like, okay, right? Maybe these silhouettes of the dresses, it's it can be also maternal friendly doesn't mean it's a maternity dress no but it's maternity friendly because mm. of the silhouette right and we can style it in different ways right and we can maybe also advertise these pieces to women who are also going through pregnancy right um, because for them it's no longer thinking about oh I'm pregnant I need to buy this right which I'm thinking about cost because it's expensive right and I'll never wear it again right um, versus hey, this is a piece I can wear now. Mm -hmm. I can also wear next time, right? In the next year, then that's good value for money, right? So we think about all these components um, in this sense. And I think that's sort of like that big trend, right? That we see, we see things changing, yeah. Dion, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roshan. Folks, I was speaking with Dion Song. She's the CEO of fashion brand Love Bonito. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the full conversation on BFM app or bfm.my. Our shows are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast players. Just look up Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kennison. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with bossbelay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.